Hello, my name is James Kerr Reed, and welcome to Crossing the Void podcast from Self Startups, where we get expert insight from leaders in the B2B tech startup space to help make founders' journeys from seed to Series A a little bit easier. I hope you find it insightful, interesting, or inspiring, or hopefully a combination of all three. So welcome to Crossing the Void podcast from Sales Startups. My name is James Kerr Reed, and I'll be playing your host today. I'm joined by James Church, the co-founder of Robot Mascot. Hey, hey, well, thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, it's great to have you on, James. But before we go into talking about pitching for investment for tech startups, can you give the listeners a brief intro into yourself and your background and what Robot Mascot do? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm James Church. As you said, I'm, I'm the author of, the, of a best-selling book called Investable Entrepreneur, um, which I'm sure we're going to cover kind of some of the key strategies in, in that today. But it's all around pitching for investment. Um, it's a, let's say a bestseller on Amazon. It was a finalist for, for Business Book of the Year last year in, in 2021. Um, and, yeah, a co-founder at Robot Mascot. And, and that's what we do at Robot Mascot. I help people pitch for investment, um, create investment materials that, that convince investors. When we do that, our clients are 40 times more likely to, to raise the investment that they that they need. Our clients have raised what, over 170 million so far um and counting um yeah and we just we just help help founders get into a real position where they can convince an investor that their business is uh, is the one to to back we recently just just won a global award for for doing exactly that um which was which is really exciting so so yeah that's that's us really and how did you get into creating a, an agency like yours yeah so it's, it's quite a long story so i'll try and keep it brief but um about seven years ago, I was approached by by the founder of the business, um, Nick Ruston, um, who had founded a, a branding agency called called Robot Mascot. He wanted me to come on board as co-founder, um, which I did, um, coming more from a, a marketing background. So we had this sort of marketing and branding experience between us. And we were doing lots of kind of branding projects and we were we were working with with a lot of startups helping them build their their brand and, and it didn't take long for them to start to say could you help us create our presentation our pitch deck for for raising investment um you know our business better than anyone we need to, we need help we're really struggling to communicate our offer uh so so we said yes didn't really know much about raising investment at all if anything like pretty much what every founder knows which is dragon's den like that's that was our baseline um so we were like oh well, we've got these jobs now to go and create some investment materials some investment pitch we better actually go find out what the market wants what what entrepreneur uh, what investors are looking for um so we did a load of research interviewing a load of investors kind of figure out what we need to need to put together um, turned out we were pretty good at it. We, we sort of got some quick results with our first couple of clients that asked us to do this. A few advisors spotted what we were doing and kind of advised us that, that there could be something really interesting there. We should explore it further. That could be a real niche. That's what we did. I spent sort of two years interviewing founders and investors, really understanding the sort of nuts and bolts of, of what the two parties want. Um, and then they kind of built an approach to, to getting success for our clients that, that turned into the, the strategies that are in my book, Investable Entrepreneur. So it's been a bit of a journey when we've sort of pivoted from kind of full service branding agency into an into a investment readiness agency um, along the way. And, and, and that's now what we do all the time, um, helping people position themselves, get themselves investor ready and, and get them in front of investors. So, so yeah, that, that was the journey. Um, I think the real 
I think the thing that's allowed us to be successful is the fact that our starting point was the same as founders. Like we knew nothing about it. We don't come from a finance background. We're not an ex-VC. Um, we're coming at it from the other side of the table and trying to figure it out for ourselves. And now we can apply that knowledge to our clients who are, who are in the same boat we were you know, four years ago or whatever. So, so I think that's giving us, gave, given us a, a, a different narrative, a different viewpoint, allowed us to connect more with the founders that we take through our process. Um, so I think that's been our, our kind of secret weapon, really. Yeah, it makes complete sense as well. Um, given obviously what you do about communicating a clear message to investors, you've had to create that yourself, right? You, you had a new go-to-market, you had to do your research, you had to find a product market fit, and you had to create compelling content that connected with that audience that can be delivered you know, in a superb way. Yes. So when do, when do uh, startups typically come to you and Robot Mascot? Yeah, so we typically work with pre-seed, seed and series A. So my majority of our clients are seed and series A. Um, we have plenty of people that approach us at the pre-seed and our kind of done-for-you consultancy services perhaps aren't quite the right fit. Um, so we've got a, a more of a cohort-based program that we take people through that's more of a sort of a one-to-many offering where we, where we give them the education and the tools and the assets and the templates they need to kind of do it themselves. Um, whereas our, our core kind of C and Series A clients, it's more of a done-for-you work with our expert team we build it all um and, and work in, in more of a consultancy approach so so pre-seed seed and series a is really our our sweet spot but um yeah we've we've done some some much bigger rounds as well um but but that's our sweet spot and how far out from the investment deadline would they connect with you obviously mm-hmm. you not soon enough <laughs> <laughs> i knew you would say that <laughs> yeah so so most people you know our process takes sort of six to eight weeks typically um most people are approaching us when they, they sort of want the money now um let alone thinking about the three to six month campaign they're going to have to run to get the you know from first pitch to money in the bank so Ideally, they'd be approaching us nine months before they wanted to raise investment. Very few founders are planning that far ahead with anything, let, let alone raising investment. So, um, yeah, probably nine months would be ideal. Um, more often than not, it's, it's less than that. It's sort of three to six months before they want the, the cash in the bank. Um, and then they have to learn the hard way that things might take a little bit longer than they initially planned. Is that one of the guidance points as well that you give startups in terms of when you should actually start working on some of these materials, start getting investment ready um, rather than, like you said, leaving it to the last minute? Yeah, I think there's always that. I think something that drives that is this idea of like investors always want lots of traction or they always want more traction. There's never enough traction and they always get told I need more traction. Um, I think the reality is that the, the smartest founders, the ones that are closing rounds are the ones that have started those conversations early with the investor because your plan of what you're going to do with the money is pretty much the same. That doesn't change. Um, the only thing that changes during the process is where you are now and how much traction and evidence and validation you have. So the, the smart founders are, are kind of coming to us as early as possible, getting that strategy down, having the materials to go out and start conversations with investors, learn what the market want to see. And then when investors say, I want to see more traction, what they really mean is I want to see progress. And often that's because they're, they're not 100% confident that this founder can actually deliver and they can execute. They may have a great idea, but they might not be able to actually execute. And 
we find that when we put all of the materials together that we put for together for a founder it gives them so much credibility that, that the whole traction issue doesn't become so much of a thing and they get further ahead in the conversation but anyway you, you should be talking to investors and every time you know they want to see progress when they say they want to see more traction i want to see progress i want to see things um develop i want to see you make things happen and then i'm going to feel more confident to invest in you so you you start with those assets, you start pitching, and then every time you meet the investor, there should be something new to say. So you should always be going along that journey of kind of getting more traction. So, so there is never a time that's too early to start talking to investors, as long as you've got a credible kind of proposition for them to look at, um, so that they can take you seriously, and it is more than an idea. You've properly thought through how you're going to take this business forward. Um, but there is too late, which is when you're running out of money. Um, so it's never too early to start those conversations because they want to see progress, they want to see traction, you want to bring them along that journey with you. Um, but there is such a thing as being too late to go to market. So so the, the earlier, the better. And uh, it gives you more time to build relationships with with, with investors and, and prove, your, prove your worth by being able to say, we've just secured this contract, we've just got this partnership and, and take them along that journey rather than feel like you need to be in a fixed place and then go out to investment. Um, mm. so, yeah, yeah, I think that... That happens a lot as well, is that because people hear about these milestones that they need to achieve in order to raise investment, they're so focused on the milestone, they sometimes forget about the investment preparation that's needed when they get to that milestone. Yeah, it's a relationship game. The, 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 you know, the, the reason my book is called Investable Entrepreneur and not Investable Business is because the investors invest in the entrepreneur. They don't care for the idea. They care for the entrepreneur. An early stage, you know, pre-seed, seed and series A, that's what the investors care about. Can this founder execute? Can this founder, you know, roll with the punches? They may have this idea now and have this direction of travel. We know in 12 months time, they are pivoted about five times Um are they able to take the right pivot? Are they able to make the right decisions? Can they, or are they just laser focused on this one thing and they're not willing to listen to the market? Uh, you know, so they, they want to see the entrepreneur. That's who they're investing in, not, not so much the idea. Whereas the entrepreneur thinks they're investing in my incredible idea. Um, so if we can flip that message and be like, they're investing in me, how do I make myself look credible so I can execute on this and make a multi-million dollar business off the back of it? that's what they're looking for is, is that person. So you've got to build those relationships and, and have those human conversations with those investors. That makes complete sense as well, especially with the seed in series A type of um, investment rounds, because you don't have huge market traction. You don't have huge market proof. You might not have a thousand or 2000 customers at that point in time. You know, you might be basing off, especially in B2B SaaS, it might be 10, 15, 20 customers at that point in time to show that you've got, you know, a, a valuable business that people should invest in, yeah. um, but they're investing in you to build a team and a business and to follow. Well, each. I mean, look at the, the think about the, the most impressive entrepreneurs on the planet, the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet with well, the one thing they've all got in common is they could get shit done. They can make things happen. They, they can execute really well. Um, and there's loads of businesses with really great ideas that or loads of founders with loads of great, great ideas that never go anywhere because they can't execute. And then there's, there's businesses with seemingly mediocre ideas, but they're multi-million pound corporations. And that's because their founder can get shit done. They can execute, they can make things happen. And, and the sweet spot is finding both, you know, when you've got a great idea with a, with a, a founder that can get stuff done 
that's that's the that's the sweet spot and that's what every every investor is looking for so yeah founders it's much about them uh and you know it's as much about what you can achieve and how you can execute as it is your idea um that's just a small part of what they're looking for that makes a, a good point as well i remember um reading a book i think it was mj demarco who wrote about the multiplier effect of an idea plus the execution and the execution was like a factor of, I think it was 10 up to sort of 100 times of brilliant execution. So you can make even an average or okay idea, yeah. you know, an absolutely brilliant idea by the, yeah. your execution. So. Yeah, 100%. Like we could all, we can all have great ideas. Like I could walk out of the, the, the station, the train station tomorrow and see like a derelict building and think I've got a great idea. That would make a brilliant, if that's a perfect location for a block of really premium apartments uh, in, in the city. Like someone should do something with that. If, if you don't do it, you can't get angry that someone else has come along and stolen your idea um, and built those luxury apartments and, and made it happen. They executed on it. The idea is worthless. I had the idea. Can I go and tell, like, he stole my idea. I, I said two years ago, that should be a block of block of luxury apartments but i never executed i never made it happen i never raised the finance brought in the team got the plans drawn up you know it's the it's the founders that that make things happen that the ones that that succeed and end up with with the value to to show for it yeah it makes complete sense so let's go into some of the challenges and and maybe how some of the founders can overcome some of those challenges so when going out for investment what are some of the challenges and how do the founders overcome those yeah, so I mean, lots of challenges. I think, like I say, that the the first one, the main one for me is 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 positioning yourself to the market, to investors that you you are investable. Not that you've just got a great idea, but you are investable. And I think there's three areas that that founders need to need to focus on, and perhaps they don't focus on enough. So, so the first is is demonstrating to to investors that you're highly resourceful. It's the first first thing that they want to see. Are you someone who can get someone to buy into a vision? Can you bring people with you on your journey? Um, can you can you attract not just capital when you need it, um, but are you going to be able to attract the the best advisors, the best talent? Um, are you going to be able to deliver these game changing commercial partnerships? You know, are you that type of founder that can just rally people around you get people to buy into your vision that makes you highly resourceful that makes you someone who can get stuff done and uh, so that that's the first challenge is to sort of demonstrate that to an investor and that's where your pitch comes in it's the pitch that really demonstrates that if you've got this inspiring pitch not only does the investor get excited by what you're doing but they know others are going to get excited and all of these other other characters that you need around you are going to are going to fall behind you and, and kind of want to want to join you on your journey I think the next challenge is then demonstrating to an investor that you you really understand the financial risks as well as the financial rewards. I think founders really like to focus on kind of that hockey stick growth and those big numbers in five years time. And this is going to be a, a unicorn by next week. Uh, and they have this these these audacious kind of growth plans, but they're not necessarily thinking so much about the, the kind of downside of that and the risk that comes with that level of growth. And, uh, and I think investors want to see kind of a founder that's sensible with with their cash that they're going to be putting into the business and, and has this clear kind of sensible, but also ambitious financial vision for the com- company. They understand what they're trying to build, how 
how it needs to be built, what kind of revenue metrics it needs to, to achieve the highest exits in their industry. You know, all of these things that say that this founder is financially astute. They, they understand the direction of travel. We know that it's all made up. Like the one thing you, founders and investors can agree upon is that the fact that the financials are all made up. That's not really the point. The point is we know that they've got the right direction of travel. They're heading in the right direction. They know how much it's going to cost to get to a business of this side. They know how big a team they're going to need. They know how much marketing they're going to need to spend to, to reach these kinds of, of goals. And, and therefore you're more trusted as a founder. You're the type of founder they want to, they want to invest into. So it's like having that financial vision, getting across that that, that you're financially astute enough to, to be trusted with their cash and to have a direction that's going to result ultimately in an exit, an exitable business. Um, now, I think the, the third and final kind of challenge is, is demonstrating that you have that, that implementation that we talked about, that, that sense of a commercial strategy for, for success. How am I going? What, what are my stepping stones? Not just in the short term, but the long term. So again, a lot of founders will focus on the here and now. I need cash right now to build my MVP or to launch my product to market. And they're not really thinking much further than that. We just need to get users. We just need to get this into the market. And yes, of course, that's important. And you need the detail around what you're going to do with their money right now over the next 12 to 18 months. But they also want to see that strategic plan, those stepping stones to exit. Like, what are your plans for getting, you know, realistic plans, you know, for, for reaching the kind of level that you, you that is going to deliver us the return? So new market launches, new product launches. Strategic acquisitions, very few founders talk to me about strategic acquisitions. But if you look at the businesses that sell for the highest value, they've taken shortcuts rather than buying, uh, rather than paying for a team to develop a new product or rather than um, paying a huge team to go and set up a new operation in a new country, they buy a business that's ready-made to do the job and plug it into their their existing. And, And if more founders said, look, we've got some acquisition targets in year four and five that's going to really help us increase the value of our company they're going to you know investors are going to they understand how to play the game they know how to build value for for shareholder value and therefore i can trust this founder more to deliver me a return so i think they're the big for me the big three challenges for for a founder when pitching is to get across those three things that they're they're highly resourceful they understand the financial risks as well as the rewards and they understand how to create commercial success and, and how to implement um, a scale-up business, an exitable business. Makes sense. And for those maybe, especially on the financial side, that that, that may not be you know, their previous background or experience, is there a way which you would advise founders to kind of brush up or elevate their skills in that domain? Um read my book <laughs> there's a bit it touches lightly on it there it's not the most exciting thing so i haven't gone into too much depth on the on the financials because it is boring um but there are some good books out there there's great books out there that, that talk more about accounting practices and what balance sheet shows versus cash flow versus PL and sort of understanding the basics of of how to present numbers to to investors and researching on google kind of what what's expected of a high growth like let's say you're a SaaS, you're a SaaS business you know um what kind of what kind of revenue should i be expecting for every member of staff i should i should be hiring what what's the average what's the sort of average kind of percentage of revenue that's spent on marketing in a in a SaaS business what what are the typical gross margins you know all knowing kind of just rough guidance as to what 
what's expected in those areas for a high performing, high, highly accessible business will give you a sense of where you need to be. Once you know, for example, in your industry, the average revenue per staff for a scale up business in SaaS is say 300K, 500K revenue per staff. It then becomes quite easy for you to create realistic financials based on this is how much revenue we think we'll get in year five. If, we, if we're at a 2 million revenue for every member of staff we have and the industry average is sort of 500K, we know that we've got four times as few staff as we should have in our model and we should be budgeting more. So once you've got these metrics, you can use them to make sure your, your forecasts look more realistic and you come across more credible as a founder. So it's not easy. You have to kind of understand it a bit, but it is just, you know, if, you, if you're not going to get a professional in to do it um, and support you and guide you and have a, a financial advisor on the team or whatever it may be, then you just have to, it's just a fact. If you're, if you're a founder and you want to go and raise investment, you need to get good at presenting numbers and understanding these things because it's only going to get tougher when you've got a team of 50 and, and 20 million in revenue and you're in a board meeting and you've got the CFO presenting you these numbers, you can't just glaze over. <laughs> you're the CEO, you're the, you're the founder. So you better start now. Yeah, makes complete sense. So your advice is obviously to get that core understanding of the industry, those metrics, they almost give you the parameters of comparison. And so then you can review your own financial projections to see whether you're on point. But it does seem like a a word. No one wants to crawl through Excel spreadsheets. That's the last thing founders want to do. They want to build product, deal with customers like but it's just a necessary evil for for most most founders who are who are perhaps more creative to have to learn spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. but that's, that's like that's I guess going to an outside professional is also you know worth its weight. Yeah, and that's the, thing, that's the other thing a lot of founders feel is is I need to know all this stuff to be a good founder. And the truth is, you don't. You look at someone like you know Elon Musk, for example. Like he, he's not. I don't know him very very well at all. In fact, I don't know him at all. But but, um, I would imagine he's the sort of person who's not particularly great at execution. Great ideas, like we're going to go and live on another planet. Then he gets other people to make it happen. And and some of the best founders I know, like bringing it back down to, to kind of reality and not Elon Musk levels, but some of the best founders I know that have built multiple multi-million pound businesses would be the first to admit they are crap at getting execution. They can't do anything. They succeed and they succeed quicker than other founders because they can't do anything and they bring in experts around them to do all of the things that they that are needed. And that frees them up to be the front man of the of the business, if you like, the, 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 the band singer, you know, the one that's shouting about how awesome their team is and how great the product is and pitching and presenting on stage and kind of running the running the show and being the front of the business. But They've got experts behind them that put together the financials, do the business plans, create the products, do the marketing. Um, so if you can get people in and you're able to do that, then you often get places quicker um, as a result. Yeah, that's a good message to founders at the early stage, isn't it? That you don't actually have to be good at everything and don't beat yourself up if you don't have a massive passion or a interest or even the skills to do some of these core tasks that need to get done. Yeah, you can get other people to do it. And 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 having that self-awareness goes down a long way. The earlier stage you are, and you, you know, I'm not pretending that everyone can go out and afford to, to hire agencies like Robot Mascot to help them. Not everyone's in that position at an early, early stage. Um, but 
you can have some self-awareness when you're talking to investors and say, look, I've put together these financials for my pre-seed or my seed round. It's not my bag. I've, I've researched this. I've, I've given it my best shot. But the, one of the first things I need to do is bring in a, a part-time financial controller because there are no finances in my strong suit. You're about to give me a load of money. I need to make sure that's managed properly. So I, my, one of my first jobs is to bring in, and I've already identified a freelance financial controller that's going to come in one, two days a month to, to keep all of this on board. That humility, that self-awareness goes a long way than trying to be this kind of founder that's brilliant at everything because they, they don't exist. And, and you're better off being honest about that. I'm the sales and product guy. Put me in a room of people, I will get you loads of sales. Um, or I'm the product guy, like, give me some code, I can build this stuff, but don't put me in front of a spreadsheet. I need to bring people in around me who can do that stuff. Um, and, and being self-aware of what you're good at and where your strengths lie will go a long, long way. Yeah, I completely agree. So we've got obviously our decks together. We've got obviously our business plan. We've got our financial models. We've got you know the preparation pretty much done. From that point, where do founders go wrong in terms of actually executing on that initial preparation to securing investment? <laughs> yeah. Um, so without being flippant about it, um, not doing anything, um, sitting there scared to put themselves out there and scared of rejection and just sitting behind their, the safety of their home office or computer screen and hoping that they can just put their pitch on to Angel's Den or send it via deck sender to, to loads of people and, and they'll just come crawling. Um, it's, it doesn't work like that. You have to get out there. You have to, hopefully while you've been building all these assets and you're getting yourself investor ready, you've been building a personal brand. That's the first thing you should do is, is, is be putting yourself out there as an expert in your field, hitting LinkedIn. You can make 20 connection requests a day, just go through a load of investors and advisors and, and experts in your industry and start connecting with them 20 a day, every day, um, writing articles, thought leadership posts, thought leadership articles, not even necessarily mentioning your, your startup because you might be having, it might be a side hustle right now, but um, um, talking about the problem you're solving, the, the sorts of things that are needed to be done in the industry to solve this problem, the insights you're discovering, you know, build this profile of being a real expert around a niche that starts getting your attention that starts opening conversations and you've already got then a warmed up base of investors that, that will be interested to hear from you when you launch your campaign. Um, so that's the first thing, build that personal brand. And remember investors go hunting, angel investors, especially, and, and, and VC firms at that sort of series A um, level that they you know, the investment analyst job is to go hunting. They're, they're trawling LinkedIn for interesting founders that might want to raise investment at some point in the future and, and following them and following their progress. So the earlier you build that personal brand, the, the easier it's going to be to attract some investors when you've got all your assets in place. Then you need to go through four, four phases, really. Um, the first phase is investor targeting sitting down thinking going through your linkedin network going through your um uh going through crunchbase or, or other databases and just looking for potential investors that you could you could reach out to um and building a, a target list and kind of ranking them from most likely to invest to least likely to invest you know they, they've invested at a similar stage in a similar niche um in some competitors they're they're highly relevant 
maybe similar stage, but we don't really know whether or not they, they've invested in our niche before and whether we're their bag, they're, they're less relevant. And then you've got this list of investors and you, you want to be, you know, this should be two, 300 investors at, at the very least. And, you know, and then think outside the box, you know, who, who has recently exited in your industry um, and go and find out who their investors were and who the founders are and add them to your list because they've just made a load of money out of a business that's done something awesome in your sector, in your niche. And what's one of the first thing most founders do when they exit their business, I'm going to support the next generation. I'm going to become an angel investor. So you can email them straight away. Congrats on the exit. Um, here's what I'm doing. Should we chat? Um, same with the, with the investors. They've just made a load of money out of your niche. Approach them. They've got, so they've just had a return. They're feeling excited. They've got a bit of money to burn. You know, so just think outside the box a little bit, but build that target list before you do anything. And then here's where founders go wrong, right? They then reach out to that target list. As soon as they find an investor, they reach out to them. They find another one, they reach out to them. And they've got these constant conversations going on. And then one will get back and they'll do a meeting and they'll do these drips and drab meetings, right? And they'll, there's no real momentum to your campaign. So if you can build that list, then say put a month or two aside to promote the campaign. That's phase two is promote the campaign. Just push, push that out on LinkedIn, social media. We're launching our campaign. Um, we're, we're, we're excited to announce we're raising funding, yada, yada, yada. Um, start reaching out via personal emails that are targeted to each individual investor. I see you've invested in company X, Y, and Z. Here's what we're doing. You know, these, these direct approaches, these personal emails, try and find people who can introduce you to these potential investors and just start that ball rolling of promoting your investment opportunity. Try not to meet with an investor as soon as they get back to you and say, I'm interested in meeting after your kind of one or two month period of promoting the campaign, have a set two or three weeks aside where you do nothing but investor meetings. You just book that time out of your diary. All you do is investor meetings in that period and you have a Calendly link and you get everyone to book in in that period of time. What that does is you, you have the same number of meetings in effect, but it also allows you to focus more time and effort on the promotion, which means you get more power and a cumulative effect of all of your kind of marketing, if you like, activity. Um, creating a buzz around it then you create a further buzz by having all of these meetings back to back rather than drips and draps because you can go into that first meeting and there'll be the pleasantries like how's it going oh so good um we've just you're we've just opened our investment round we've got um 10 meetings lined up this week i've got another two weeks worth of meetings um so much interest around this some investors going whoa whereas the other way the old way was how's it going yeah yeah good any much in, well you know i've got a couple of investors that might want to meet with me in a couple of weeks um you're the first one i've uh, that, that i've met it's like it's not very inspiring <laughs> you know if you can batch them all together with the end of the first week we had 10 great meetings we've got three expressions of interest i've got another 10 meetings lined up next week you know bunch it all together and suddenly there's momentum suddenly there's excitement um and then you start to get investors who are really interested and they feel safe and heard um, and, and everything starts to come together. So, so there's those three core phases, then you get their commitment and then you move to kind of closing the round. But if you can be more strategic in your approach, once you've got those assets in place and you're taking this to market, you can es essentially create this supply and demand imbalance, this, this point in time where there appears to be more investors interested in you than you actually need. And that creates a bit of a dogfight to be the one that invests in this awesome opportunity because it must be great because loads of other investors are buzzing around and it has its own, creates its own momentum and its own kind of buzz. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's the way I'd do it. And Is that where the expression of interest really comes into its own? Yes, because... that's where, where I have a I talk a lot about an expression of interest for, you know, getting them to put something in writing um, and rather than just a verbal commitment. And, and that allows you to, at the end of that kind of two, three week period of meetings, actually have a stack, hopefully, of expressions of interest. Let's say you're raising two million. You want to ideally get to three million minimum in expression of interest, if not four million. And then you're in a position um, to call these investors back um, and you can order them in order of priority. This expression of interest form, by the way, should be like, how much would you typically invest in a round like this? What's your inve- intended investment range? Are you looking for SEIS, EIS shares? Can you bring anything else to the table other than money? Um, those sorts of things. You know, are you passive or active in your approach? You know, things that you might want to know about the investors. You can then um, order these in order of preference. And you can go back to them and, and basically say, and you probably say this to the top 10 in your, in your list or the top five, um, look, re- I've got good news and I've got bad news. Good news is we're in a position to close our round. Um, you were one of my top pick investors. You say this to everyone. You were one of my top pick investors. Um, I'd love to, for you to be part of that round. I, I felt you could, not only could, could you obviously bring the capital we need, but I like the fact you had X, Y, and Z. Um, give them a bit of a stroke, tell them how awesome they are. You want them to be part of the round. Um, but the bad news is we're oversubscribed. There's some investors are going to miss out on this round. We've got more people committed to us. We've actually got 4 million in expressions of interest. We're only raising 2 million. We're not planning on overfunding this round. So some investors are going to miss out. Like I say, you're my top pick investor. I'd love to have you on board. Um, I need to know by the end of the week whether you're in on this round um, because I want to instruct my lawyers at the end of the week to send out the heads of terms. Let me know. Um, if you're not, that's cool. I'll just move to the next person on the list. Do that with the top five, see what response you get. Then wh- whoever drops out, you move down your list of expressions of interest. And you're basically doing two things. One, you're, you're putting time pressure on them to make a decision and investors like to be in control and you're taking that control away from them um, to, to kind of get the round done quicker. But better than that, you're making them go, wow, (laughs) they're oversubscribed. There's loads of investors that want to be part of this. I'd be an idiot to miss out on this opportunity if all of my peers think this is a great opportunity too. So you're giving them basically everything they want from your business, which is traction and validation. You're doing it for your own investment round. And they're going, whoa, (laughs) there's the market want this, the market need this, the, you know, the, the investors that are around me, my peers want to be involved in this. I'd be an idiot to turn this one down for this other round over here where I'm a bit kind of, they've got nowhere near as much, um, much kind of going on. Um, so, so they're much more likely to then commit to your round because they don't want to miss out um, on, on, on that next big thing that, that loads of other people have, have kind of validated for them is a, is a good, um, a good investment. So yeah, that, that's that sort of approach. Treat it like a sales and marketing campaign. And again, mm. I think that's why what, what I talk about is a bit different to perhaps what XVCs might talk about because I approach this from a brand and marketing background. You know, brand marketing, sales, that, that's my background. And, and you can apply those same strategies as you would to, to sell a product to selling shares. Yeah, I completely agree. The supply and demand tension is the key as well, isn't it? Because mm. you're creating scarcity, urgency, and you're really sort of putting a fence around the buyers in some ways in that sense, or the investors in this case, who are wanting to buy equity in the company. So you're 
you're confining and also i guess that elevates in terms of negotiations with regards to term sheets because if they're not going to agree to your valuation it's like well i've got 10 other investors who do um so you know maybe you're not the right fit you 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 create this with or without your energy right you you'd like this is going to happen doesn't matter whether you're on board or not i'd love for you to be on board but if you don't want to be part of it, that's cool. I've got others that are waiting. And if you can get yourself into that position, it gives you, without being arrogant, it gives you that confidence, which is kind of attractive uh, and attractive quality and kind of is like, okay, this founder can, remember I said about being highly resourceful, you know, this founder can make stuff happen. They can get things done. Well, if you can do this with your investment campaign, imagine what you can do when you're let loose with a product in the market, you know? Um, so yeah, it's about about showing that you're highly resourceful and that demonstrates it. Um in action by by having these investors buzzing around you so mm. yeah very very insightful it's it's great to cover the steps of that campaign and how it operates in practice and like you said to create that tension and and keen interest in investing in your company um mm. what about the mindset of the founder obviously this is quite a intensive time for a founder like you said six nine months in terms of typical duration what advice have you got for founders to keep the right mindset during this time? Yeah, I talk about it a bit in my in my book, and and you know you, you have to be relentless, hundred percent. Just like again, that kind of with or without your energy, I, I sort of mentioned earlier, you just got to keep going and just go. Look, I know there's going to be a hell of a lot more no's than yeses. There's going to be people who don't see the potential. There are people who say you're too early for them or whatever. Look, every investor has their own unique shortlist of what they're looking for in the perfect investment. You're not going to tick every single box, but you will find if you reach out to enough and kiss enough frogs, you will find that investment that you that you need. Now, literally, I was talking to one of our founders this week who is going exactly through that. I've been reaching out to these investors. I'm getting the same sort of story every time. I just, I you know, almost feel like giving up. And it's like, whoa, don't do that. Because we had a client, you know, a couple of months ago who was in exactly the same position. And two days later, they had their lead investor and they were ready to. And, and then within a within a couple of weeks, they were ready to close their round and they were just about to give up um, and just go, this is never going to happen. I'm just going to bootstrap it um, as best as I can. And and they were just so demoralized. It's really tough. You have to be you have to be super relentless. You have to have conviction um that in in your approach and your idea because investors are going to have their own opinion on your business model and what you should be doing and you should be focused on this market and that market it's like look, they they don't know your industry like you do the reason you're doing this is because you have before you even started this startup you have presumably a load of insights into the market from your previous working experience that led to the point of you going there needs to be a solution to this um and then you've done all the research and the market testing and the and everything since then. And investors just been pitched it in the last five minutes and suddenly they're an expert and they know what's going to work. You know, you, you have to have conviction in your own. And if they don't see the, the direction, if they feel like they're going to push you off course or then they're not the right investor for you, it doesn't matter how much money they're putting into the, into the round, if they're going to try and push you off course because they see something else in your concept than you do. So you've got to have that conviction. Uh, you've got to have that relentlessness to, to really succeed, I think. And you have to just, just keep going because um, it is tough. It's 1% of founders raise investment. You know, there's a reason that it's 1% because it's tough and, and not enough people either know how to do it or, or spend enough time making it happen. And a lot of founders think they can just 
throw something up on on angel's den and then suddenly they'll everyone will see how brilliant this idea is and, and they'll be throwing money at it and and obviously we know that's that's not the reality and you've just got to keep you've just got to keep going and, and and keep plugging away until you until you get that wear those investors down and get them over the line but if you're applying that strategic approach that we just talked about it will be much it'll be much better because you'll feel like stuff's happening. You're getting great results from that promotion. You're booking in a load of meetings. You're having these back-to-back meetings and, and it, suddenly it feels like more stuff's happening if you've got that more strategic approach to investment. So you, so you end up less in that position of, oh God, like, what have I done? This is, this is tough. Um, and have you ever seen clients coming back to you? We've seen recently, especially in the C to Series A market, due diligence taking a lot longer than it previously has you know in previous years so we've seen almost like a campaign nearly to close with a couple of lead investors and that due diligence either taking too long and almost have to restart or reboot the campaign what have you seen from your standpoint yeah i think the same um i think that the, the while the economics situation at the moment isn't necessarily impacting on the rounds being done, they might be at a slightly different valuation and, and there'll be, you know, more, more due diligence, more, more check in there, making the right decision, more caution from, from those investors. They've got to invest their cash. They've got to put it somewhere. They've got to deploy it. Like the VCs, especially, you know, they, they have a fund, they have to deploy it and they need to get a return for their, for their LPs. So it's the, 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 the impact of the current economy is actually going to be in, in a few months slash years time because they're struggling to raise round, raise funds right now um, is, the, is the issue. They've got the previous funds raised and they need to deploy them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going to be much more cautious in their approach and they're going to be, we, we've had founders kind of come back to us for, you know, talking to a VC firm and, you know, we've done their forecasts. So like two, two rounds of investment, maybe three rounds of investment until they reach profitability. Um, and they come back going, no, we want to see a version of this model where you can reach profitability with just this one round. We know growth will be less. We know the returns will be lower, but we just need to know that there's a strategy in place that will allow you to turn profit, uh, be a profitable business without needing any further money. It's like, we've never had that as a request before. Like most investors are like, yeah, we need to keep investing and we need to make this, make this big. So it just shows the kind of slight attitude change of like, we need those fail safes in place. We need to know that we're investing in a founder talking about financial literacy and everything earlier. Um, a founder that's that if the shit hits the fan, they would have a backup plan they'd be able to adjust and it's a test like can you make that work that there's just this one fat one round is all you need um and they're testing your ability as a founder to to adjust to market conditions um they're not necessarily saying that's what we want you to do but they're testing you and, and you as an as an individual as an investable entrepreneur um are you the type of founder we can invest into because you can you can find a way through like if you could only get one round, would you be able to find a way through? And, and that's kind of what they're looking to see. So yeah, definitely yeah. different. And do you think then that we'll see less rounds per company? I don't know if that would be a long-term thing. I think it's a very short term because of the thing, because of things right now. Um, I think it will, it will soon return to return sort of to, to, I would say normal, but, but I think, you know, we're just in a period of time at the moment where they want to be a little bit more cautious or need to be seen to be 
being a bit more cautious for their own sake and for for their LP's sake or whatever that they they've done a bit of extra due diligence on on this um, just for their own to cover their own back more than anything. Um, so I think it will probably return. Um, things always do seem to get back to um, that kind of status quo, but but there's you know it was the same with the when COVID first first hit. There was a sudden there was a six month period where things changed quite a bit. You had to talk a lot about how you were going to get through the, 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 the COVID pandemic, why it was going to be a good thing for you. And, and, you know, talking about all of these, all of these different COVID related um, questions and issues, and you need to build that into your assets within a, after about six months, no investor was, we were still in lockdown. We were still, uh, we still had the, the pandemic at, at large, but it just became less of a topic. We saw that 2021 was a booming year there was loads of investment in the market and and suddenly everyone went back to just their usual operations. And I think the same's happening. War in Ukraine, hyperinflation, you know, six month period of kind of cross the eye, uh, cross the T's, dot the I's, extra due diligence. Uh, and then I would expect it to start to return to, to kind of as you were um, type thinking once they realize that the world still exists and things things are kind of okay there's just a lot of initial panic isn't there and then you realize that oh actually we can get through this and 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 we're going to be okay and then people start to ease up a little bit i think yeah certainly got it so are there any other tips that you would give to say like you said pre-seed seed series a founders wanting to raise Ooh, any other tips i think you know just get really good at telling a story you know, get, getting people excited by your your big vision, you know, and being very clear on what the big vision is. You know, this is where, this is the direction of travel. This is how we're going to change the world, getting people excited to sort of follow you on the journey, but then being able to break that down into, in order to get there, we need to do this little bit first. And then we need to do that little bit. Because I think there's often a mixed, it's not clear enough for a, for a lot of people when they're listening to a founder pitch. It's like, well, what, what do you have right now? And how are you going to get to there in a really logical and strategic way? So it's, it's having that balance of kind of great storytelling, getting people excited by what you're trying to achieve, but then having the, giving the investors that reassurance that you're a safe pair of hands. You're not just, you know, this big ideas person. You actually have, you know, you're a safe pair of hands with their, with their cash. And if you can get that balance, um, that, that's the key. Sounds good. And where's the best place to connect with you and find out more about Robot Mascot? Um, LinkedIn would be the best place to connect with me. So, so James Church on on LinkedIn, and you'll you'll find me. Search, search for that. Um, if you're a if you're more of a, a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter user, then then I'm all on on all of those channels as as well. I share daily content on all four of those channels um and robot mascot youtube channel weekly videos on there so loads of content going out um uh, so you can connect with me there you can go to robotmascot.co.uk for our full website there's there's loads of loads of resources on there articles free downloads um scorecards so you can test how investor ready you are um, and get a, a tailored report as to what you need to do to to improve your investability um, so yeah, all of that stuff on, on, on the robot mascot website. So, yeah. Fantastic. James, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed interviewing you today. Uh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed being here. It was great. Thank you for listening to crossing the void podcast from self startups. Please do like subscribe and share and join us for more episodes coming soon. 
If you're not already signed up, we send a fortnightly partner newsletter to businesses and investors in the B2B tech startup field with market insights, relevant news, and updates on our clients. We also send a fortnightly newsletter for B2B tech startup founders with content to help them on their journey from C to Series A. You can sign up to both on our website at salesstartups.co.uk.